0: Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. Don't forget, you can email me at Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. P R O T O N M A I L.com. Also, if you want to check us out on social media, you can check out the Facebook page, Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone. You can also check us out on Twitter, Gitter, and Truth Social. That handle is at R-K-Y Freedom. That's at R-K-Y, and then the word freedom. No spaces, commas, or any punctuation. All right, I am solo today. And the reason I'm solo is because I thought I would bring to you a very interesting topic. Now, again, this podcast is not... And should not be evolved around me. I've had several episodes now to prove that. But once in a while, I think that it is a good idea to know more about the host, me, Kevin Williams. Why? Because I don't think what I went through is unique. Today I'm going to tell you how I became interested in politics. Ever since I was eight years old, I've had an interest in politics a little bit here and there. I remember the 1988 election, and I remember my parents talking about President Bush quite a bit. As a matter of fact, you all might be interested to know that when President Bush gave the speech, Read My Lips, No New Taxes, I remember exactly where I was when I heard President Bush give that speech. I was playing out in our front yard, and I think I was playing with my sister, one of my sisters, if I'm not mistaken. And I came in to get some ice water, and I heard President Bush, then Vice President, say, read my lips. No new taxes. And I remember my dad shouting for joy. And then I remember when the budget deal passed in 1990, my dad was absolutely livid at saying, I voted for President Bush because he promised me no new taxes. Wow, he was not happy. I remember that. I remember that very well. He was talking to my mom about it probably about 20 20 minutes or so before dinner. It was right after the 1990 midterm election. So I've been into politics or interested in politics for quite a while. I really became interested in politics in 1992 when I was older and remembered a lot more. And I started following the 1992 election. And I heard my parents talk a lot about The 1992 election, as a matter of fact, I have a story for you. In 1992, it was during the summer of 1992, we were sitting down eating dinner on a Sunday afternoon, and my dad was complaining about how bad President Bush was campaigning. And I agreed with my dad, even though I didn't understand it all back then, I agreed with him. And the reason I agreed with him is because I heard more from Governor Clinton, and I heard his name more, this is back in the election, so President Clinton wasn't president yet. But I heard more about Governor Bill Clinton running for president than I did President Bush. And I remember the debates. And Bill Clinton was a lot more articulate and did a much better job of getting his point across than President Bush. It wasn't until the last debate that President Bush did very well, and I kept thinking, geez, President Bush, where were you during the last two debates? How come you weren't that good? And so when my dad complained that summer, I agreed with him. I remember responding. I can't remember what I responded with. Mind you, I was uh, I was 12 years old at that time. I remember when Pat Buchanan lost the New Hampshire primary. I should also say that my parents were very influential in me becoming interested in politics. Because that wasn't the only conversation that my dad would have at the dinner table about politics, how bad President Bush was campaigning, or President Bush signing the budget deal in 1990 that in fact, did increase taxes. I remember whenever there was a political debate on TV, presidential debate specifically, my mother would take time to watch it, even if it was during dinner. I remember one of the political debates, I believe it was, yeah, it was the second political debate in 1992 during the presidential campaign. My mom and I along with two of my siblings, were eating dinner. My mom made a point to turn it on one of the channels that that was having the debate. And we were watching that while we were eating dinner. Another thing that stood out to me, and I thank God that I had a mother that was really interested in what was going on, because this really left an impression on me. I remember in 1993, President Clinton took office a few weeks before. The State of the Union was on. And my sister, well, one of my sisters, was complaining and said, Mom, can't we watch something else? And my mom said, No, I need to know what's happening to my taxes. And I didn't think much about it back then because I was already interested in what President Clinton had to say during the State of the Union. But years later that really made an impression on me that my mom cared that much to know what was going on in America to watch the State of the Union so that she could budget accordingly. I'm glad that my mom took the time to watch things like the news of the State of the Union or something like that. I'm glad That my parents would discuss politics amongst each other, especially at dinner time, because that got me interested. So I've been interested in politics for a long time, but something happened. And I'll get into that right now. I went from what I call a Republican to a Democrat to now a conservative. I don't like to label myself a Republican or Democrat. Because really, they're all the same when you get to Washington, D.C., it seems. Yeah, there's a few differences here and there. Yes, there's a few people that are standing up for conservative principles in D.C. that are Republican. But it seems like a lot of them just get bought off by the establishment or something. So, I just like to say conservative. So, here's what happened. I was a senior in high school. No, I was a junior in high school reading about the vietnam war and becoming very disgusted with how this Viet, with how the vietnam war was being handled and the fact that the republicans were more for the war than the democrats and i began to think why are we even, why were we even there in the first place seems like it was none of our business that led me down the road of slowly becoming a democrat that being said I did vote for President Bush in 2000, or in 2000, 2001 came along, I started becoming more liberal with the exception of 9-11, I actually did like how President Bush handled 9-11, but I guess I really became more liberal in 2002, why, well, a couple reasons, number one, I was in college, and I was going off of what the history books were printing. Not that back then they printed anything wrong, although I'm sure that they did skew some facts here and there. But I really got caught up in identity politics the more I think about it. You see, folks, being blind, the government provides a lot of services for blind people. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in my opinion, although we can certainly debate, and I might actually agree with this, as Leah Southwell and I talked about in episode 7, that it really should be the churches and the family that help each other out instead of the government. I kind of agree with that, although I still wonder, we've been this way for so long, how in the world will we change people's thinking now? But that's a whole nother topic for another day. But the problem was, and still is, The government provides a lot of things for blind folks. And in some cases, I think it's necessary. At least until we get back to the churches and families should be the ones that you go to first. But nonetheless, for now, I don't think it's entirely a bad thing. Could it be reformed? Yes. But I digress. The point is, the government provides a lot of things for blind folks and other disabled people. So, I got caught up in identity politics, and I thought, well, the government's providing this. Democrats have historically been more cooperative with blind people than Republicans, which is actually true. I know this because I talked to a lawyer that's blind, and for, uh, I think, five or ten years, he was actually a lawyer for disabled people, and he told me that historically, the... Democrats have been more cooperative than Republicans. Now, this is back in 2001, the very end of 2001, when I had this conversation with him. And that started making me just want to be more of a Democrat. And so I became one. Also, it was during that time, especially in 2002, 2003, I became really active in an organization for blind people. And every year, it still happens, every year we would go lobby, and I I would go lobby with them. We would go lobby in Washington, D.C. and talk to our congressmen and senators. I remember specifically one incident where I had a very bad experience with a Republican in Utah. We were in Robert Bishop's office in 2003, And we were trying to lobby for, and we did get it passed eventually, took a few years, but we were trying to lobby for, at the time, textbooks and, yeah, mainly textbooks from K-12 to to be accessible for blind people. And Robert Bishop asked a bunch of questions like he was skeptical. Now, to his credit... He may have been trying to just educate himself on these matters, because I understand former Congressman Robert Bishop was an educator, to my understanding. So he may have been trying to just get a grasp on this, but he just acted. There is something about his questions and his tone of voice that made me think he wasn't all that interested in helping us. Also, another time that people in the Federation went back to D.C., I wasn't there during this time, but I was told by the blind lawyer that I was telling you about earlier, that an aide told him that he was popping a zit while he was listening to us. Those two things right there just really soured me towards the Republicans. As a matter of fact, even before I went to Washington, D.C., I was on an emailing list, and my email signature said specifically, Let's go to Washington, D.C. to send a message to those darn Republicans. I was dead serious about being a Democrat and being caught up, and I didn't know this back then, but I was definitely caught up in identity politics. Even though, yes, I did have Democrat leanings too, but I can guarantee a lot of that came from, uh, from identity politics. So I went along being active in this organization for a while. And I went along about my college career. And I went along trying to get a job after college, like most college students do. And it was around that time that I became more conservative. It didn't happen overnight. Back in 2006, I listened to Glenn Beck. Now, I'd heard of Glenn Beck long before 2006 because of my radio background. But... I paid more attention to Glenn Beck in 2006 than I ever have before. And the reason for that is, one day I tuned into his radio show and he was really hounding on President Bush. And you will hear in episode four, no, episode three, where Brian Hyde and I discuss this very briefly, that I was a fan of Glenn Beck because he was harping on President Bush, and I thought, finally, a big conservative talker hounding on President Bush. What a concept, because Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, Lars Larson, all of them were cheerleaders for President Bush, and yes, I know Democrats weren't either, but even then... Deep down, I knew something was wrong with the Bushes. I couldn't pinpoint it back then, but I knew something was wrong. And I knew that this war in Iraq had gone on for too long. And it just seemed like nothing added up. So to hear Glenn Beck harp on President Bush, I found it refreshing. So I started listening to to, uh, Glenn Beck, even though I disagreed with most of the things that he said. I at least respected the fact that he was an independent thinker in the sense that he went against President Bush and against the grain of all the mainstream conservative talkers. I'm not talking about talkers like Sam Bushman, Lori Roth, and probably others, Jerry Hughes. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the mainstream conservative talkers that were just cheerleading for President Bush. I had a lot of respect for Glenn Beck. The other thing that intrigued me about Glenn Beck is he talked on the radio as though he was talking to me one-on-one. Now, I don't get that so much these days when I listen to Glenn Beck, but I definitely got it back then. Now some could argue, oh Kevin, maybe it was a maybe it was a sign. Well, I don't know. I'm not going there. But the point is, back then in 06, he was very effective at talking on the radio and talking as though you and him were in the same room having a conversation. And by the way, I'm not the only one who thought that either. I ran this by several Glenn Beck fans back then, and they agreed with me. Some people still agree with me today. So the other thing that intrigued me about Glenn Beck is he started talking about paying attention to your instincts, pay attention to your gut feeling. And I thought, well, I do that quite often. It doesn't matter if I'm a Democrat or not. I pay attention to I paid attention to my gut feeling quite often back then. Now, was I right all the time? No. Did I let things interfere with my gut feeling? Yes. But it was there, and I would sometimes feel like something was not good that I was about ready to get into or maybe I shouldn't go to a certain place, and so I didn't. Yeah, those feelings were always there. So I could relate to him. Then he started talking about food storage, which I've always been a believer in food storage, even though I was a Democrat. Why? Because my thinking back then is you can't count on the government to take care of you forever. As much as I like what the government's giving me, as much as I like all this, I can't count on it forever. So I've always been somewhat a believer back then, at least, in prepping Even more so now, but back then, somewhat, yes. But what really changed is in 2009, Glenn Beck was starting to reveal, and other talkers as well, were starting to reveal some things about Obamacare. And I started reading some things on websites about it. That was the beginning. The other thing is that Glenn Beck started the nine twelve project. And he recommended that we all read the book, The 5,000-Year Elite by Cleon Skousen. Now, I knew who Cleon Skousen was long before Glenn Beck recommended this book. But I would never actually paid attention to any of his writings. And I thought, well, and, you know, my thinking back then is, well, I know Cleon Skousen's a right-wing nutcase, but you know, his book sounds interesting, so I actually ordered it on a cassette tape. On cassette tapes, and listened. And I thought, well, this guy, Cleon uh, is not too bad. Uh, I actually agree with a lot of the principles that he's conveying in the Five Thousand Year Leap. But what really got me going, and what really changed me to a conservative is what was going on in 2014 with the Bundy family. I quickly learned by doing some research that the government was not entirely innocent either in handling the Bundy family. In fact, they were far from it. And I thought, well, okay, if we're going to get on the Bundys for not paying their grazing fees, particularly Cliven. Well, we've got to hold the government accountable, too. And I actually agreed, and you'll hear this in episode three, where I talked about the medical kidnapping of baby Cyrus. Brian Hyde and I talked about the fact that he said, you may not like Cliven Bundy, you may think that he has to pay his grazing fees, but if they come after him, they can come after you next. And I agreed with him. And by this time, 2014, I was becoming more conservative. I should also mention to you that a few about uh, 2 years before 2014 I read a book called Every Knee Shall Bow that talked about the tragic issue uh, the tragic incident of Ruby Ridge. And that was written by a pretty unbiased Spokane journalist who worked for a paper in Spokane. I can't remember his name, I can't remember the paper. And that made me a little bit more conservative. So all these things, all these things added up. But what really got me going, other than the Bundy issue, was a book called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I really was intrigued by the book. Uh, Yes, I thought Ayn Rand... was dead on when, because I saw some of this too, the book Atlas Shrugged talks a lot about crony capitalism. I'm not going to get into what the book's about. You'll need to look that up. But it talks a lot about how the government and the private sector can be in bed with each other. It's a fictitious story, but it's a story that I think hasn't changed all that much since 1957 when the book came out. Basically it was a book that was parallel that was talking that was discussing the railroad industry and the mining and the steel industry and the entertainment industry was all linking them to the federal government and how the federal government was in bed with all of these industries. And I started seeing this in two thousand fourteen with Lyft and Uber. Now, a lot of that's been resolved. But back then, in 2014, there was a big controversy over Lyft and Uber and should they be in Salt Lake, should they follow all the regulations. As a matter of fact, I went down to the city council in Salt Lake City back in 2014 and defended Lyft and Uber. I even spoke at the city council meeting. Well, one of them. And I thought, and that was... a. Uh, Even the National Federation of the Blind of Utah was working pretty hard to advocate for Lyft and Uber, as they should have. I'm glad they did. I was happy to work with them on it, too. And so when I read this book, I started comparing, I started drawing parallels between Lyft and Uber and how the government is so in bed with the cab companies. I'm talking about the city government in this case. Folks, it was crazy. There were Lyft drivers who would pick up people that were undercover and then they would report it to the Salt Lake Police Department and they'd get a fine, a pretty big fine. The drivers would. This is all written in uh, previous art- in archives. You know, if you go to the Tribune's website, the Tribune back then in 2014 did a very good job. But my point is, this is how I became a conservative. Now, for the record, I would not consider myself an ultra 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 conservative. However, I would consider myself pretty conservative. I still have some liberal leanings when it comes to things like mass transit and you know, bus services and things like that. Probably because I'm actually using them. But even then, I'm for the debate. Rather, that should all be funded by the private sector. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody last night and told this individual, I don't want the light rail to come down to Utah County. Remember, folks, I am from Utah. And they said, why? And he said, well, I know what it did to Salt Lake. Now, we have, there's a great light rail system in Salt Lake. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. It runs on time. It's very, very sufficient. But the problem is, it really messed up some of the great bus routes that you can rely on to get you to the light rail, and beyond. For example, just uh, uh, come with me here for a few minutes. There was a bus called Eight Eleven that would go into, I think it would stop at the at the Southtown Mall or something like that. It would, uh, and then it would. Go to uh, it'd go to Utah. It'd go to Utah County. It'd stop in Provo or Orem and Provo in that whole area. And that was a great bus service. And then the front runner came and completely messed up. bus Eight Eleven. Why would that be a big deal? Well, because buses sometimes go somewhere trains can't go, and vice versa. So it's good to have both, in my opinion, running just as efficiently. I mean, it really messed up the routes. But anyway, I'm still. I, know, I, I still am a proponent of such things, the light rail, if it's done correctly. But I'm definitely pretty conservative. And I want to talk about identity politics because that's a dangerous place to be. Oh, the other reason, too, the, for me becoming a liberal back then, The other thing that caused me to be a liberal was rebellion. Yes, I rebelled, I rebelled against my parents like most kids do and young adults. And yes, I reached the stage where I thought I knew more than my parents like most kids do. Therefore, it was a rebellion. That was that was I would say 50% of the reason. The other reason was identity politics. So, why is identity politics so dangerous? Well, because it starts groupthink. Whatever this group does is good. You're so involved in this group, and this group did so many good things for that individual. And the group I was in did some really good things for me. Don't get me wrong. But, there was the groupthink that I was involved with. And also, I was a member of this group. Most of us are Democrats, therefore I must be one. And I remember one time coming home from an event using mass transit in Salt Lake. And mass transit doesn't always run as efficient as it, well, it doesn't, half the, a lot of buses don't run on Saturdays and Sundays, or at least they didn't back then. So I just remember going off on the driver about how the Republicans don't put as much money into this as, it should, as they should. I just really went off. I really had an ax to grind with Republicans back then. Now, that doesn't mean I couldn't be friends with any of them. I was. But Republicans as a whole, I had an axe to grind because of mass transit and some of those other things. And as I've become more conservative, I realize that there's two sides to each story. And yes, we ought to debate some of these topics. So, identity politics is dangerous now. For those of you that wonder, because I've been on both sides of the spectrum now, well, Kevin, my daughter's coming home from college and she's a liberal. What do I do? Well, you've got to let your kid think for yourself, but it doesn't hurt to sit down and have a conversation. For example, let's say your daughter comes home and is really big into the LGBT pride issue. And is really supportive of LGBTQ people. And we should love them. We should let them hold jobs just as we do straight people. Just as we do anyone else. But let's sit down with your daughter and say, Are you for the LGBTQ people teaching children this? And show them an article. Or let's say your daughter's liberal about welfare and you show your daughter, well, should we do this? It wouldn't hurt either, and I wish somebody would have done this to me back then in the early 2000s, middle 2000, from 2001 to 2010. Tell your son or daughter, read this book, whatever book it is. Let's say I remember one time, for example, This is when I was uh, beginning to be a Democrat back in 2002. This is when the Emron scandal was going on. And WorldCom, and I told my dad, well, these corporations have too much power. Oh, my dad went off on me. Come to find out, I was right. What my dad should have said said is he should have said, Kevin, you're right. I want you to read this book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and it'll show you just exactly how the corporations are in bed with the government. That's what he should have said. If he would have said that, I would have read it. I would have been more out to read it back then. And we could have had a conversation. But instead, my dad just was really one-sided. You cannot be extremely one-sided when you're arguing with your kids about politics. You have to find some middle ground. And I need to work on this, too. If my dad would have said, well, Kevin, you're right, That's why we're in a lot of problems. Well, I want you to read this. But my dad was really caught up in Rush Limbaugh and all the mainstream conservative talkers out there. And whatever they said went in his mind. My dad, being a corporate guy, just said, well, I'm very pro-business. The problem you have is you're in a generation that's anti-corporation. No, that is not what you do, uh, parents out there. That is not what you do. To get your kids to think, you suggest you should read this book, and I think that you'll find out that you're in agreement with it, and it might change your mind a little bit on how money is made. That's what you do. Or let's say you get into a conversation about, oh, I don't know, Hollywood and certain movies, and you say to your kid, well, you need to read this book. This book talks about what, the, what we're discussing right now, and it goes into a little deeper, and it may feel uncomfortable, but you need to read this book, and let's talk. That's how you handle your kid when they come home from college and start having liberal views. And you also need to validate them. Say, yes, I agree on this point. Yes, I agree with this point. I think sometimes, and I've noticed the other side does this too. gets a little too one-sided. Us conservatives can be very guilty of this. You also have to remember that your kid is trying to find him or herself. Just as I tried to do. And so, yes, there might be a time when some of their views, major views, hardcore views, you know, some of your core views clash with theirs. Now, sometimes it'll stay that way, but sometimes they'll come around to the conservative way of thinking. Or sometimes they'll come around and still have a few liberal leanings here and there. But we need to talk to each other more then we have. And us conservatives really suck at this. And yes, I have been in that category as a conservative. I remember one time my dad and I were talking about the environment and how he said that the environmentalists want control over land and everything, and I disputed him. Had my dad actually sat me down and had a real long discussion about it and told me to read certain books and told me to talk to some people that work at the Forest Service or talk to different people, I would have actually been more open to that. And that's how you should be with your kids. Have open and honest conversations, even if they make you, the parent, and the kid, uncomfortable. Because the day and age of just being one-sided and saying things like, oh, I'm pro-business, I'm pro-this, I've seen and done a lot of things, you have a lot to learn, those days are over. With the internet and us being so bombarded with information, it's time that we change our tactics. I've been saying this now for a while. I'm still working on it. So, this is a different podcast than usual, but I think that the, this kind of a discussion is very important. And yes, I will say that one of the reasons I went to a Democrat is I was trying to find myself. I didn't know exactly who I was, really. Yes, I went on a mission for my church and all that, but I questioned a lot of things. I still question a lot of things, but even different things back then, politics or whatever. So yes, I'll be the first to admit I was trying to find myself. I hope that this has been an enlightening discussion. I hope that you will take what I say to heart. And I hope that you will actually work on these things so that when your son or daughter has a question, you can refer to them to a book. And not just refer to them, not just refer them to that book, but say Have you read this book lately? What do you think about it? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? What questions do you have? That's what parents need to start doing. Again, I've got to say this. Us conservatives, we suck at this. We need to get better. But I hope what I say, I hope you take what I say to heart. And don't forget, if you have any suggestions about the podcast, who I should have on and why, email me Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at ProtonMail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at ProtonMail dot com. Also, you can go to the Facebook page and like it. You can go to the Facebook page, that is Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone. Also on True Social, Getter, and Twitter, it's RKY Freedom. That's RKY and the word freedom. Now, why is it different on those social networks? Well, because I can only have so many characters as my handle. So I had to go with RKY and then the word freedom. All right, folks, I will talk to you all later.